0: And we do have uh, copies of our bulletin available in the back. And if you're viewing online, you can tap on the proper place and get a digital copy and find out everything that's going on here in Central Baptist Church. And we are excited as we approach the end of this year. You know that this Wednesday night we will have our pre-New Year's uh, excuse me, uh, candlelight service, and it will be a wonderful time. I urge you to be part of it, 7.30 or live stream if you cannot be here, but invite others to tune in as well. Looking forward to that. It's going to be a very, very special time as we think about how God has kept His promises and continues to do so next Sunday. We'll continue in that vein also, so don't miss any services here. Into the year 2021, as we move forward, this is not a time to be in despair. This is a a time for us to delight ourselves in the Lord and in His law. This is a time for us to refocus and get properly aligned with the perfect will of God. And as your pastor, I dedicate myself to that end. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep Keep the fire going, keep the fire burning, and help you to do the same thing. Praise the Lord. And I know that when all is said and done, God is going to grant us a wonderful, wonderful uh, times of refreshing revival, because that is our only hope. It's revival or ruin. That's what I believe. Now every morning, tune in, and uh, you can catch us uh, with our devotions from 6 o'clock on, and uh, hope that everybody will help Get others to subscribe and get on on track with that. That's very, very important. Just going to have a great week as we end out this year and a great beginning for next year as well. Jesus Christ is coming again. And as we see things developing around us, I know there were folks who for years would preach on the signs of the times. And it's not so much the signs of the times, but the trends of this age in which we live. Keep in mind this. I want you to mark this down. When we rightly divide the word of truth according to 2 Timothy 2.15, we have to rightly divide. Keep in mind that the rapture of the believers, which is the next event on God's calendar, the rapture of the believers is not clearly and specifically laid out until 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now we can go there tonight just as a reference, but let me say also what you read about in the Gospels has to do with last day's trends and then some specific things that occur after the believers are gone. And we have what we understand from the rest of Scripture, from the book of Daniel, and from other passages of Scripture, as the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, a time of Jacob's trouble. It's known by a number of different names, but it's, it's a series of plagues and events as the world has never seen when the wrath of the Lamb will be poured out. But you see, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, we are not appointed to wrath. Jesus Christ took our wrath. He experienced the wrath of God when He experienced hell for you and me on the cross. We're not not looking just at the so-called signs or the trends, though they certainly are road markers along the way. My Bible says that this path, this journey we are on is going to take us out of here as Jesus returns for His own. As you read in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, questions are asked about the end of the age and Jesus answers those questions. But this is not specifically about the rapture. This is specifically about those trends and things that will be happening on into the tribulation. The rapture itself is going to occur at a time only known to God. God will say, son, go get my children and will be taken out of this world. Right now we're looking in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 4. In verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. This is written to saved people concerning them which are asleep. That's bodies that are asleep in the ground. That Ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, he started into this back in 1 Corinthians 15, and he talks about the fact that your your dead loved ones that died saved are going to be raised, they're going to have an incorruptible body, it's going to be changed in in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment. But we don't have the specifics of the rapture until we get to 1 Thessalonians. And so he says that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. What have we got? We've got hope. And who is our hope? Jesus Christ is our hope. And hope is not a verb like I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it's not inclement weather. No, hope is a noun. Like we're standing on a solid rock. We're standing on a firm foundation. That's our hope. We have hope. Others have no hope. When we sorrow at the loss of loved ones who have passed on, that no Jesus Christ we have hope. And though you may shed a tear, we have hope. And though you may miss them, we have hope. And though you may feel badly that they're not here to finish the conversation or to have a cup of coffee with, we have hope. So what have we got in place of the presence of our loved ones who passed on? We have something that is very definite and very real. We have what? Hope. Now, those that aren't truly saved, and there are plenty of false professors, there are plenty of tares in the place of wheat. There are plenty who say they're saved, but they've not been born again. These are people who don't want the rapture to take place. These are people who uh, don't like to talk about death, and they don't want to talk about heaven, and they don't want to talk about the future because they're only filled with one thing, and it's not the fullness of the Lord Himself. Rather, it is a fear it is a dread. They don't want to talk about it. But for the believer, we're like the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm, I'm in a straight. I'm in a narrow spot betwixt two. He says, uh, I have a desire to depart, which is what he wanted. But there's a need for him to stay and help out the believers that he was grounding in the faith. He says, it's more needful for you. I, I can go along with the Apostle Paul. How about you? I mean, I want to go be with Jesus now, I love my wife, I love our kids, I love our grandkids, I love our church, we love our friends, but you know what, if you're saved, we're going to be together forever, and it's going to be better than anything than I could ever describe to you, and I'll write a song about that someday, better than anything we could, people try, they, they'll sing songs and they'll, they'll figure out how to rhyme streets of gold and, and uh, you know, more than we've been told and so on and so forth, you know how it is. And they'll write songs about heaven, little ditties and little songs, and praise God for every one of them. But I've got news for you: nothing that you could write or think or imagine on this side will compare with one millisecond of being on the other side. I'm looking forward to going. Now we're going to go by death's door or by the rapture, whichever, whatever God's choice is. And so we have we have sorrow for those who passed, but not as those which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I believe that. That's the gospel. Jesus died, He was buried, He rose again. And I personally applied that. And so if you believed it personally, then, now here it is, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. That means their spirit, their soul, uh, the immaterial part of the individual is going to come back with Jesus. He won't touch down on the ground. The bodies will come up out of the ground. Then we which are alive and remain are coming up. As well we're going to be changed in a moment and then it says for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent now that's an old English word prevent go before we will not go before them which are asleep for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first somebody has well said it and I'd, I'd like to parrot it tonight. And you jot it down. I'm not looking for the signs of the time. I'm listening for the sound of the trumpet. I'm not looking for the signs of the time. I'm listening for the sound of the trumpet. And we're going to be caught up together. The dead go first. And then we're caught up with them. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. We go to meet. Jesus in the air, the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's a passage of Scripture which is about what? Comfort. What we read about back in in the Gospels had to do with preparedness. We need to be watching and waiting as it says in Titus and as it says in the Gospels and as it says elsewhere in the Scripture. Because Jesus is coming, He's coming, and He's coming soon. Father, I pray you'll fill me now with the Holy Spirit and help me as I try to make these scriptures clear. And as we as we uh, look at them side by side, Lord, help us to get a clear picture. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Why on earth would God save us and leave us here? Why on earth would would God give us a heavenly home and not give us the keys to it right now? Why on earth? Would God make us brand new creatures in Christ and leave us in a hostile world? He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. We, we talked about that this morning. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's not changed at all. So we understand that He's left us and we are now ambassadors for Christ. We're representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be all over the Bible today, so mark it down. Book of Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, that's a spiritual resurrection, speaking of what's happened when we got saved. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection. That's your decision and mine to make. We must determine what our affections will be. We must make Uh, That determination, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. To set our affection on things of the earth is to be worldly minded. And there is no greater conflict than a born again believer having affection set on the things of this earth, what they can accumulate, what they can, what they can have, their five senses being satisfied. But one of these days we're going to be suddenly taken out if our, if our lamps aren't trimmed and burning, if we don't have oil in them, if we're not prepared, listen What a terrible thing it would be to not invest what God wants us to invest spiritually. And he comes back and Jesus says, come on now, it's time to go. He said, well, I haven't had enough time. I want more time. I want more time. That's one thing that nobody's going to have more of. When Jesus returns, that's it. It's all over at that point. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. So what are we to do? Verse 5. Mortify. Put to death therefore your members which are upon the earth. We have to daily make a decision. Make a choice that we talked about this morning. In the morning service. We have to make a choice to decide and let Jesus Christ live through our life. Let Him be the one who speaks through our lips. Be the one who thinks through our mind. Be the one who sees through our eyes and hears with our ears. And and is, is there to bless and to be a blessing to others. We need to let Jesus Christ completely have His way. And we need to mortify or put to death all of our selfish and carnal whims and desires. That are left over from the old nature which everybody's got one of. Over in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Wonderful, wonderful scripture. Mark it down. Read it this week. When you start getting depressed and filled with Almost it seems like despair is creeping in and I just don't know if there's going to be any hope. There's always hope because He is our hope. He is our hope. Doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is our hope. 1 John 3 verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. When we are yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's living through our life. The Holy Spirit's in control, in the driver's seat of our life so that we're talking and seeing and thinking and walking and hearing and behaving and sharing and and being charitable like Jesus Christ. Why, the world's not going to recognize it. They can say, I don't even know you anymore. You don't even look familiar anymore. You don't act, behave, respond like you used to respond. You say, that's right, because there's been a great change since I've been born again. And I've yielded my heart, my soul, my life to Jesus Christ. And I want to be part of the solution. And I can't help you and I can't help other people unless Jesus Christ is seen in me and lives out of my life. There's got to be an old-fashioned, old-time revival. God's people have to stop just being part-time Christians. And they've got got to start being 24-7 believers. Amen. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. There it is. There it is. That's what we should be about. We should be occupied. We should be about our Father's business. Instead, as we look around, we see those those so-called signs, those trends. It says in 2 Timothy and 3, chapter 3 and verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, dangerous times. Then we have listed all the professing religious people of the last days. And, and they're selfish and carnal and self-directed and self-destructive. No wonder Judge Robert Bork, who was perhaps the, the greatest jurist ever nominated to the Supreme Court and refused By the liberals. So much so that now that is a model for the liberals to keep anybody of that sort out of the Supreme Court if they can. He wrote a a tremendous book, several things, but one called Slouching Toward Gomorrah. Slouching Toward Gomorrah. And he said this, I am not a religious man, but America is now in moral anarchy. Anarchy. I do not believe it can even survive without a sweeping spiritual revival. Robert Bork, a great conservative, but a lost man, admittedly not trusting Jesus Christ as his Savior, said there's no hope for our nation apart from a revival. That revival can't be worked up. Only can we yield to God and allow Him to work through us. Our option is still 2 Chronicles 714, we need to confess, we need to humble ourselves, we need to forsake our sin, we need to turn around, we need to repent, we need to let Jesus Christ have his way. Otherwise, there is no hope. It was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, also not a saved man, once President of the United States, who said, you and I are witnessing a dramatic and soon to be be traumatic unfolding of prophesied events that will usher in the most diabolical, horrifying moments in history. He said, in politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned that way. Franklin Roosevelt gave us good warning. He said it was planned that way. Ultimately, people will be convinced to trade in their liberties for what is apparent security whatever is provided by big government. And that is the devil's plan. You say, oh, that's, that's just real good. I mean, that's kind of like Christianity, you know, providing for the poor. There are some folks right now, all they're doing is waiting for their check. And they have sold their liberties. They've sold their spiritual and, and their freedom, uh, their free... Legacy, they've sold it for a pittance, for a little bit of money or a little bit of bread or whatever it might be. Satellite, high-tech audio, visual capabilities combined with contemporary special effects and techniques capture the mind, the heart, and the soul of our people because they are inundated 24-7 by corrupt information being provided for the sole cause Of ruining this nation stealing the heart and soul of this people and I'm standing in this pulpit I don't know when the last time will be when I'll stand in this pulpit but I'm telling you I'm gonna go out telling the truth and I'm speaking the truth in love tonight God's people have to get right with God I've got to be thoroughly right with God you've got to be thoroughly right with God or there is no hope for this nation Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who was pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, said, Not until all is lost will many awake to the painful reality that America, as we once knew, is gone. Gone. History. A whole generation has grown up with no awareness of true scriptural, biblical regeneration. We have effectively lost the cultural war. Now, it's not over yet. I mean, I'm still breathing. You're still breathing. The Bible is still true. God is still on the throne. Jesus Christ is still the Savior of mankind. But in Proverbs chapter 30, beginning at verse number 11, it says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There's a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. I'm telling you, it's not hopeless, but the only hope, our only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is coming. He's coming soon. The final words of Jesus Christ in the book, I want you to turn there to the 22nd chapter, the very last words of the book of the Revelation. Chapter 22 of Revelation. And it says in verse 17, and the Spirit and the Bride say come. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. The Bride, that's us believers. The Spirit and the Bride say come, and let him that heareth say come, And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. John was on Patmos. He was put there because the Roman uh, emperor tried to have him killed. And tradition says that he could not kill him. And so he banished him to the island. And everybody thought they were rid of John. But there he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he wrote down the vision that God gave him. And uh, before it was all done, I mean, after all the plagues and after the battles and after everything, when the smoke finally cleared... The Holy Spirit said, John, you're not through yet. You got to tell them one last time. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. There's still an opportunity to be saved. You got a pulse. You're still alive. There's still a chance for this nation. There's still a chance for this old world. People can still come to God through Jesus Christ. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. You can't take one jot or tittle out of the word of God, not dotting one I or crossing one T. Every single word is inspired. Every single word is preserved. That's where the power is. That's where the authority is. And there are precious few who are standing up and saying, We're going to be people of this book. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to take from it. Don't you dare add to it. Don't you change any words. This book is not to be changed. It changes me. It changes you. But we don't change it. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now here it is. Fasten your seatbelts. Here it is. Verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Last words. Surely I come quickly. Amen. There it is. Exclamation point. There it is. I come quickly. Now Jesus Christ was not saying that He was going to come back in a short space of time from when Revelation was written. We know from history that that's just not true. I know that the Bible is true. But Jesus didn't come back immediately, and so that's not what He meant. No, what He meant was, when He comes, it will be so fast, so swift. When He comes, there'll be no chance for people who are not what? Matthew chapter 24, chapter 25. Those who are not prepared. Those who are not ready. Those who are not watching. Those who are not waiting those who are not longing and looking and loving the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's that grace that sustains us. It's that grace that enables us to go on and preach the truth. I believe of the sudden coming. I believe in the sudden coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it will be surprising in an hour when you think not I believe it will be certain, sure, all of the saved will still be saved and those that are lost will still be lost because they haven't gotten saved before that time. The rapture takes place in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. The return of our Savior then with the saints for the battle of Armageddon and establishing the kingdom upon earth for 1,000 years following the judgment of the nations will occur in Matthew chapter 25. But we always keep in mind that this is our motivation. We watch and we wait. We watch. We look for the coming. We have this cooperation between the Spirit and the bride that says, come, come before it's too late. Come. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. Please come before it's too late. The invitation is to come to the only source of salvation. And that source is the Lord Jesus Christ. 54 years ago, John Walvoord wrote a book called The Nations in Prophecy. And I don't have time to read from it, but it's more true today than it was 54 years ago. He says the nations are in crisis and multiple crises, spiritual, theological, moral, church, scientific, racial, economic, and political crises. And I agree, it has accelerated. And he also points out the fact that America is not mentioned, nor any Western nations from among the the Americas are mentioned in prophecy. That can only leave us with a couple, perhaps three possibilities. You know, if we have not been true to what God enabled us to become. If we are in spiritual declension and if we haven't been been, uh, helping God's covenant, Old Testament covenant people, we may seek to have a national identity in the millennium. There will be no United States of America if that is the case. It could be that at some point in the tribulation that there may be the use of atomic weapons. And there are some suggestions from the book of Ezekiel and elsewhere that that may occur. There may be some kind of, of uh, conflagration which would result in our nation ceasing to exist, but I don't think that's the case. I believe God is reserving that for His, for His own fire to fervently melt the elements, as it says in Second Peter. There's another possibility, and that is that in the process of time, I don't know when it will occur, but The leaders who are trying to take control of this country have already brainwashed two generations into believing in the primacy of globalism over nationalism. They believe it's more important for us to be citizens of the world than it is for us to be God-fearing, born-again patriots in the United States of America. And because of that, it may be that America will just be a minor state, a minor player not a major role player in the future. Maybe that we'll just be part of a great big global sphere. Who knows? I'm not sure how it is. But I don't want you to lose hope. Just because we don't have any mention of the United States of America in prophecy is not time for us to panic. It's time for us to be true to the the, the Word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is coming again. The word rapture is not to be found in the English Bible. But the teaching is. We're taught that Jesus will return with a shout. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God will sound. And there'll be a split second and we'll be gone. There'll be confusion on the earth. After the rapture there is that period of time that I've referred to already known as the tribulation. Perhaps Hundreds of thousands or even millions of blood-washed saints will be translated and will be gone. We'll, We'll be in our new transformed bodies. We'll be brand new like Jesus Christ's body. And folks will be on earth and they'll be suffering, left behind in the day of the Lord to experience those horrible, indescribable plagues as much as a major portion of mankind will not survive all the different things that are going to occur as we read in the book of the Revelation, it is as been, it has been referred to as a time of trouble. It's divided into three eras, I believe. The first era, approximately three and a half years. And, of course, that is a time of relative peace. The Antichrist will appear on the scene. The Antichrist will have a mock peace with the Old Testament covenant people of God, Israel. But then he will... He will break that covenant. And then we have a brief period of a few weeks and then the end of the tribulation known as the Great Tribulation being the remainder of the seven years, Daniel's 70th week. This powerful devil-inspired leader, the Antichrist, is going to rise. something out of the old reorganized uh, Roman Empire the Holy Roman Empire, which was neither holy nor Roman, but anyway, uh, perhaps a European confederation. But with the shift these days to Islam, some believe maybe out of the Islam world, the world of Muhammad, and it's very possible because uh, Jean Gerganus, our missionary, believes that, and others as well. All I know, it's going to be a terrible, terrible time. And the wrath of the Lamb will be poured out as well. And then the end of that tribulation will be the battle of Armageddon and we will come back with the Lord. We can't be killed. We'll be in our glorified bodies and we'll be riding on horses. Don't ask me why the Bible says so and we are going to be victorious but the blood is going to be in the valley of Jezreel and it's going to splash up to the bridles of the horses and it will take a long time to bury the dead. Jesus Christ will bind Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit. For the thousand years, the judgment of the nations will take place. The beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire prematurely. That will be at the beginning of the thousand years. That lake of fire is burning with brimstone. The millennium is really often mentioned in the Bible, but there are not many who have preached on it or written about the millennium. But it's a time that we read about in Daniel chapter 12. And right now we're getting ready for our place in the millennium. I know that there's got to be seven years of tribulation, the rapture and then the tribulation before there can be the millennium. But right now, as we're serving Him, as we're loving Him, as we're longing and looking for His return, we are serving Him and our place in the millennial kingdom is being established even as we speak. We know that there'll be a period of time. I used to wonder about that. It's approximately 75 days between the time when Christ physically returns to earth And when the kingdom is actually officially ushered in, it's kind of like the period of time, the mopping up period. You know, after an old administration moves out of Washington and a new administration moves in there about 70 days, well, the same thing is true 75 days with the kingdom being established. And that 1,000-year reign is going to be glorious. We're going to live in peace and happiness, and I can't wait. I mean, there'll be wild animals that'll be just as tame as house pets. And it's going to be a wonderful time. There'll be no war. But even with all of that beauty at the end, God is going to permit Satan to be loosed for a brief period. And some of those who have not been regenerated, perhaps the children of those that come through alive and, and have these children, they may grow up living a long time and they may grow up not trusting in King Jesus and follow the, the devil in this horrible a uh, rebellion that will be at the end of the thousand year millennial kingdom. I don't know when it's all going to happen. The Bible says no man knoweth the day nor the hour. But I know we've got to get prepared. And what's going to bring it on is old fashioned Bible believers living like old fashioned Bible believers. And preachers growing a backbone and standing up and preaching. Because there are members of churches who profess to be saved that aren't even saved. And there are church members and officers in churches that aren't living like born-again Christians and aren't yielding to the Spirit of God. And I've got to say that I'm not 24-7 what I ought to be. We all need an old-fashioned revival. Back at the very beginning of the 20th century, the last real revival in this world Now, I've seen pockets of revival. I've been in pockets of revival. Little small areas where churches saw revival. But I'm talking about a revival of any size. The last known revival of any size took place in the British islands and particularly in some islands off of Scotland. And there was a preacher who was encouraged by two old ladies in their 80s. And the preacher's name was Duncan Campbell. You don't get much more Scottish than that. Duncan Campbell. And these two old ladies wanted to know if he was right with God. They wanted to make sure that he was right with God because they believed God was gonna send revival. And through hard preaching, Duncan Campbell said this, there are those who say we must not frighten people. I would to God that a wave of real godly fear gripped our land. This is what our age needs. Not an easy-moving message, the sort of thing that makes the hearer feel all nice inside, but a message profoundly disturbing. We have been far too afraid of disturbing people, but the Holy Spirit will have nothing to do with a message or with a minister who is afraid of disturbing. That's what Duncan Campbell said. And revival broke out, and people were getting saved, and were getting right with God. Christians were yielding to the the leadership of the Holy Spirit and allowing Jesus Christ to live in their life. What the two old ladies in their 80s had seen was taking place, and Duncan Campbell was just preaching, preaching it straight. A young teenage boy assisted him in the revival. His name was Donald Smith. Donald Smith was greatly used of God. He had a cousin by the name of Mary Ann Smith McLeod. She emigrated to the United States. That revival peaked in the 1950s. Back in the 1930s, Mary Ann married a man by the name of Fred. And they began to have children. And their fourth-born child, a son, was named after Donald Smith. Those two old ladies decided to send a Bible from the from the revival there on the Isle of Lewis off the coast of Scotland. And that Bible was sent to Mary Ann. And eventually she gave it to her son Donald who is the 45th president of the United States. Got that story from Clarence Sexton who preached the funeral for Donald Trump's brother. Robert was his best friend and he died. But before he died, he met Jesus. He said to Clarence Sexton, I'm praying for you, pastor. And I'm praying that America will have revival because revival is the only way. It's not going to come because we're nice. It's going to come because we're about the truth. And we're going to speak the truth in love. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we've got the greatest chance in history or if we've missed our chance. I don't know. But I'm not going to stop. How about you? I'm going to tell the truth. And the truth is this. Jesus still saves. He still keeps. He still satisfies. He's the only way. The Bible says that the The heathen rage. In fact, the question is asked in Psalm 2. Why did the heathen rage? And then in the second verse, why do they they throw up such opposition against the Son? Because Jesus Christ is diametrically opposed to every wicked thing that Satan and those who are following him in this world want to accomplish. The destruction of our nation, of our roots, of of our legacy, of what we stand for, of what we believe what Jesus Christ has graciously offered us. Critics read the Bible and they criticize and they, and they make fun of us because the Bible says that one day Jesus will come back and He's going to set His feet on the mountain and it's going to split and there's going to be a wide gulf that will result. People say that's ridiculous. I was reading the other day Dr. H.A. Ironside, who's known as Harry Ironside, says there was a great earthquake in Palestine. The Mount of Olives was badly shaken and many buildings were leveled. Some English scientists investigated this. After making an examination of the geological strata in Palestine, they said, we have found the occasion of the earthquake. There is a geological fault running through the mountains of Lebanon. It is particularly evident in the Mount of Olives. And that's where it's going to happen. Jesus is coming again. We don't know when. But we have to be what? Prepared. What should we be doing? Watching, waiting, longing, looking, loving His appearing. We don't know what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. Think about that. What a wonderful promise. But let us keep that ever in our heart and mind. Let's not be distracted by the things of this world that are passing away. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And how many of you tonight would say, preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. Let's not go into despair. Let's not give up. Let's not feel like there is no hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. Don't panic. Let's not be Let's not be focusing on the negative, but let's look look for Jesus who's coming. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, just as as, uh, the plan of salvation is being offered even now, online, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God and say something like this and mean it? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer, slip your hand up. Yes, there is mercy for you.